Hey there, I'm Dana, a registered dietitian and registered dietitian exam tutor. And this is my podcast where we go over all of the questions that have been posted to my Facebook page, Registered Dietitian Exam Study Group with Dana over the past week. And we not only chat about the answers, but why are they the answers as well as answer any questions that students have posted on the page throughout the week. This is a weekly podcast, so be sure to tune in each week for new questions. And of course, I would love to see any of you guys at the live version of this on Sunday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern time. So the first one we have is a question from Al and they're saying what does a 1.93 ratio mean in food service equations? And this is a great question because you know with the equations as I talk about you can't just know the equations. You need to know well what does it mean? Is this high or is this low? What does this mean? So there's a few different ratios we're going to be seeing with our food service equations. The first one that comes to mind for me is our inventory turnover ratio, which is going to be our cost of goods sold over our average inventory, um, our average inventory. And so if I did that math and I got a ratio of 1.93, what that would tell me is that I have a lot of money tied up in inventory. When we're thinking about inventory turnover ratio, we want to have a ratio from two to four. That's our ideal. So this would tell me I'm really, really close, but I'm still having too much money tied up in inventory. So if you told me this was my inventory turnover rate, I would want to decrease my inventory a little bit so that I could have a greater inventory turnover ratio, again, get to that two or four. The other one we typically think about too when we're thinking ratio is our liquidity or our solvency ratio where we're looking at my assets over liabilities. If this was your solvency ratio, this would tell me you have a bigger numerator of your assets over the denominator for liabilities. So this would be good. This would be you can pay for your course. If you said, oh, Dana, I have, you know, a liquidity ratio of 1.9, right? That means you have more money in your pockets than you owe someone. And something to remember on the exam is they wouldn't just say, you know, 1.9 ratio. You know, this is probably coming out of a practice question they've seen. So they would have to give you some more context. So great question. Next up, we got a math. So definitely paper, pen, calculator um, for this one. And this one, I would probably say we see, you know, at least every two or three weeks. It's a really confusing question. So here's the question. There's a few different points to it. So it says, what is the labor cost per meal? And then we have a few data points. We have total food purchase is 32,123. Total cafeteria sales is 23,231. Total labor expenses is 25,790. Meal equivalent factor is $2.15. And total patient meal served is 1,933. I mean, sorry, 1,923 on the total patient meal served. So the number one thing I see people get wrong on these questions where they're talking about patient meals and cafeteria meals, we have to remember the patients are getting fed, right? But also the workers and the visitors are getting fed. So it's two separate numbers when we're thinking about total meals. So let's loop back on this question. So what does it want me to do? So I want to figure out well, what units do I want to end in so I can kind of get there. So 
So it's saying, what is the labor cost dollars per meal? So I'm going to be in dollars per meal. So lucky for me, it already told me the labor expenses. So the labor expenses were 25790 So perfect. There's my numerator. But what's my denominator? So my denominator is going to be total meals. And where I don't want to get stuck is I don't want to just be doing my labor expenses over my patient meals because that's not including cafeteria meals, right? And this answer, if you did that, you would get $13.41. actually isn't even here. So if you ended up doing that first off and you realize, ooh, this is not here, that's your key to be like, wait, wait, wait. Let me go back. And that's why with your math, always write it out so you can exactly see where did you go. So I have my total patient meals, but I know I also need to include cafeteria meals. So I want to look, how can I convert everything else I have is in dollars. How do I convert dollars to meals? So a key thing I want to look at is a meal equivalent factor. So what that's saying is pretty much our cost per meal. So what I can actually do is take my total cafeteria sales, which were 23,231, and divide that by my meal factor equivalent, which is $2.15. And when I do that, that tells me that in the cafeteria, that if the average meal was $2.15, right, I wanna have lunch there that I would be serving 10,805 meals in the cafeteria. I add that to my total patient meals of 1,923, and that tells me I have a total of 12,728 meals. So that's my denominator. My numerator is my labor cost. So my numerator will be 25. 1,790 over 12,728. And then that will give you our answer choice B on this question of $2.03. So with these questions, remember, patients got to eat, but anytime we're talking about the cafeteria, workers, visitors also have to eat. So our key piece here is twofold. Number one, recognizing what unit our answer is in. Number two is recognizing that our key here is our meal equivalent factor. That's going to help us to convert our cafeteria sales into meals. So really great question that was asked here too. Okay, next up we have a question from Julie. And this is great. So it looks like she was doing some pocket prep and she was getting some questions wrong about inventory. So anytime you're getting questions wrong and you're noticing that it's more because of vocab, that's a great place to kind of pause and come out so we can make sure we're studying the vocab. So let's go over the vocab first and we'll go over the questions. So the vocab terms on here are the first one is par stock. So when we're thinking of par stock, this is we're saying I want to have at least this amount. I always want to have this amount on hand. So for me, one thing I like to have as a par stock is my Chobani iced coffee. I always need to have at least one in my house, one full one in my house. 
So when I go to the store, if I'm less than one, I would buy a second one so I have at least a full one. If I have two, I wouldn't buy any. When we're thinking about perpetual inventory, this isn't necessarily an inventory, you know, ordering method, more of kind of inventory management. So when I'm doing perpetual inventory, what I would be saying is, you know, as I'm using something, I'm marking it off. So as I'm going in the pantry and I'm taking a soup, I go, oh, Campbell's chicken noodle soup was three, two. And then I take it out and that's as I do it. Physical inventory is another inventory management system where at the end of the month, usually I'm going in and I'm going, okay, one pen, one pencil, one chapstick, and I'm kind of doing it at the end of the month. When I was a diet tech, that's the type of inventory system we would do where, you know, on any given day, I don't really know what I have, but at the end of the month, I'd be like, hey, you know what? We actually only have one pencil. We need to order more pencils. And then min-max is when you have exactly what it says. You have a minimum and you have a maximum. So if we go back to my Jabani coffees, right, I have a minimum of one right? In my last example, right? That was my par. I have a minimum of one, but I have a maximum of two, let's say, you know, more than that, people start to be like, are you hoarding in here? What's going on? So, well, two doesn't work. Let's, let's say my maximum is three. It gives us some more wiggle room. So, you know, I, if I have one, I'm okay. If I have two, I'm okay. If I have three, I'm okay. I wouldn't have four, I wouldn't have less than one. So min-max, you can kind of think it's like your range. So let's go to these questions. So the first one, there's two of them here. So our first one is a kitchen manager determines when to reorder flour based on the average use of the flour and his current flour supplies at the time of ordering. And here, our options are the ones we went over, par stock, perpetual, physical, and then min-max. And this one, the wording is definitely a little bit tricky. Uh, it looks like this student went with par stock because they're kind of going off. Like, you know, it seems like they have, you know, a set amount that they want. But remember, a par is what we're kind of ordering up to. Our keyword in here is that you're saying like the average use, you know, what type of numbers we want to have, which makes it more kind of of our range, making min max more appropriate. The second question is which type of inventory system has a required amount of products that would be on hand. And this one is our par stock. I wanna have at least one Chobani cold brew coffee, which if you haven't tried, is great. So again, this is a great example to come out and look at the vocab and then kind of circle back and look at the keywords too. So great questions. Those ones were both seen on pocket prep. Okay. Next up, we have another question from a student off pocket prep. And so she's saying, you know, um, she's saying on this one, um, to follow up on my last question about pancreatitis, because she posted another question on last week again. Love when you guys post questions onto the Facebook page. A great way to get feedback and other students comment on it. Uh, she's saying, is it incorrect because it's severe, um, acute, not chronic? She says, enteral nutrition for pancreatitis is tricky. And this is very, very true because on the exam, 
there's a difference between what currently is on the exam and like what's actually um, what's actually correct. So let's let's look at this one. So it says a patient is diagnosed with severe acute pancreatitis and is not tolerating solid food. The medical team is planning to start feeding the patient enterally. Which type of diet is the most appropriate for the patient? We have a few different options on here. So we have no oral diet for the first 72 hours of admission. We have the answer, which is enteral nutrition with a standard polymetric formula, total parenteral nutrition, or enteral nutrition with an elemental formula. And definitely, you know, kind of all over the place too, we see pancreatitis, post-pyloric, enteral with elemental formula, and kind of the reasoning for that blanket guideline is thinking, okay, right, if I think about, you know, the anatomy of my pancreas, right, and for those of you guys watching the live video get to see my cute little stuffed stomach, right, we have our stomach, and then our pancreas is kind of right under our stomach, and then we have our duodenum going from our stomach kind of around our pancreas. So the idea of that post-pyloric feeding is to kind of sneak, you know, past the stomach past the pancreas so that we're not bothering the pancreas. And the rationale for elemental is thinking like, oh, I might have a pancreatic enzyme insufficiency. Um, you know, this will probably kind of be the path of least resistance, best tolerated. In clinical practice, we would typically be going to a polymetric formula first. The elemental where that's really coming in is more likely with chronic because the elemental is more thinking pancreatic enzyme insufficiency for this, which we don't necessarily see as much in acute. Um, so this one, the best answer is going to be with the standard formula. Now, if they don't tolerate the standard formula, then we can definitely go to elemental. There's, you know, indication for tube feeds here, but there's not necessarily an indication for this time for the elemental formula. So with the pancreatitis questions, you want to look carefully. Is it talking about is acute? Is it talking about chronic? Is there a concern for pancreatic insufficiency there too? Great question though. So next question we have is from another student who says, can anyone explain why a little bit better? Thank you. Pocket Prep says calcium is increased with hyperparathyroidism bone metastases, um, and is decreased in hypoalbuminemia and hyperphosphatemia, renal failure, and hypoparathyroidism. And then here's the question. Which of the following individuals would most likely have hypercalcemia? A, 72-year-old man with hypothyroidism. We have B, 45-year-old male with stage for gastric cancer with bone mets. C, 24-year-old female with acute kidney injury complicated by hyperphosphatemia. And then we also have D, which is 32-year-old female with cirrhosis complicated by hypoalbuminemia. So this is the one of the ones where you're going in right exactly like she said in the comment above and was like, okay, I know, right, that, you know, the relationship between, you know, parathyroid hormone and phosphorus and albumin, right? So she did a great job explaining it. So if we kind of go, you know, kind of 
line by line, right, the first one, right? Okay, if parathyroid hormone is, you know, low, right, what we're thinking of there is that that's typically going to be causing a decrease, you know, in our serum calcium. So because they're, you know, kind of moving in the same direction you can think of. So we can cross out A. Okay, B, right? We know this patient has bone nuts, so I, I always like to put like a little squiggle next to the ones I want to move back on. So I'm putting a little, my little maybe squiggle next to that one. Okay, C, 24-year-old female with acute kidney injury complicated by hyperphosphatemia. So something to think about with our kidney injuries is it's acute, right? So she can be having the high phos, but we might not necessarily see our calcium kind of flip up. Yet, yeah, and then D is our 32-year-old female with cirrhosis, right, complicated by hypoalbuminemia. So, you know, anytime we're having, you know, low albumin, it can definitely be because of volume overload, but we have to think of other reasons why we'd have low albumin. So, one big one is inflammation, right, which is cirrhosis there, right? Number two, anything wrong with the liver. Again, that's our factory to make the albumin. So this low albumin might not necessarily be in the setting of that volume overload too. So again, could be. So if I look at these and I'm like, okay, you know, B, D, B, D, one thing I have to think, and I put it in the comments too, is that a huge reason why my patients come into the hospital is because their calcium labs are high, which makes people think that there's cancer. And a big reason for this is because if it's attacking the bones, and sometimes you see this in, you know, just cancer in general, you tend to have high calcium levels. So this one, you're definitely going to have high calcium levels if the disease is into the, is into our bone kind of breaking down the calcium. So this question is a great case of, we're not saying you can't have high calcium, right? If you have hyperalbuemia from cirrhosis. We're just saying the number one, I have to put my money on it. So a lot of these domain two clinical questions, I always like to think of like, I have to put my money on it. Like who am I seeing first? Who am I putting a hundred dollars on? And so this is a case where I'm saying, you know what? I'm putting my money on the person with the bone mats. So great question. Okay, next up we got another math one because I know you guys love all your math. So I said a food service operations net profit is $31,137. The cost of goods sold is $235,350. Inventory on June 1st is 5,670. Average inventory value is 8,330. Meal served per day is 300. What is the inventory turnover rate? So this question goes exactly into why studying your equations, and again, if you're looking for a great recorded class, check out the equations part one class on my website, why it's so important to know the definitions. Because if I see inventory turnover rate, I'm like, okay, perfect. And then I'm seeing a bunch of fluff above. So I need to be able to think, okay, inventory turnover rate is cost of goods sold, ding, 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 I see that over average inventory. So I can cross out net profits, I can cross out inventory, I can cross out meal served per day. 
So for this one, what I'm going to plug into my calculator is our 235,350 over my average inventory value, which is 8,330. And that's giving me an inventory turnover ratio that is way too high of 28, right? So in this case, we would say if it was saying, what should I do? Increase my average inventory so I don't have as much turnover. Okay, next up, I put a beautiful picture of a chariot foot. Um, so if you're not sure what that looks like, definitely go to the Facebook page or give it a Google. And I said, which disease is this caused by? Um, and a few people got it right. This is diabetes. It's affecting the, the bones and the joints in the foot, kind of causing it to flatten out. And one person said in the comments, either like, truthfully, I've never heard of this. And I said, yeah, you probably haven't. You know, when we're thinking about diabetes, you know, we're not necessarily covering, we're definitely covering, you know, peripheral neuropathy and the damage, you know, that we can see in our vasculature with diabetes, but we're not necessarily like taking a pause on chariot foot, but this question was from one of my students' exams, and she was telling me, because I always ask my students in their little evaluation, I'm always like, okay, how was the exam, everything too? And this was one of the things she mentioned. She was like, honestly, exactly what this other student said. I never have heard of chariot foot. You know, I wasn't sure. And so this is why anytime you're doing practice questions or you're on the Facebook page and you're like, I've never heard of that, give it a Google. Google Images is one of my favorite free resources. You guys are going to learn so much and get so much more in your studying by pausing and looking up your vocab words. Okay, next one is a TPN math one. So I said a patient needs 2,050 calories and is discharged on a two liter TPN solution with 200 grams of dextrose. We, it has 68 grams of amino acid and 150 milliliters of 10% IV fat emulsion. I said in one week, how much weight is this patient expected to lose? So this is a two-step TPN equation. So number one, I need to realize, okay, if I'm looking for weight loss, I need to find the calorie deficit and then divide it by, you know, find that weekly calorie deficit and divide it by my like pounds of weight loss, which right, we say kind of arbitrarily is 3,500 calories per pound. So I need to find that, but I can't find that deficit until I find the TPN. So to do the TPN on here, I want to just go you know, component by component. So it tells me I have 200 grams of dextrose. So I do 200 times 3.4 calories per gram, and I get 680 calories for dextrose. Amino acids are my favorite because it's four, whether it's a sandwich, a tube feed, or TPN. So I do 68 grams times four calories per gram, and I get 272 calories. And then my lipid is 10%, which I know is 1.1 calories per milliliter. So I do 150 milliliters times 1.1, and that gives me 165 calories. So I add those three components up, and I get a grand total of 1,117 calories in my TPN. So if my patient needs 2,050 calories, I subtract what my TPN is giving me, and that tells me that there's a daily caloric deficit of 933 calories. So to loop back on my question, it says in a week, how much patient weight is the patient going to lose? 
If I do 933 times 7, which says I'm having a total calorie deficit of 6,531 calories, divide that by 3,500 per pound, and it tells me I'm expected to lose about 2 pounds, 1.866. Great question. Looks like a lot of people got that right. Okay, next up we have a question from Angelica, and it's saying a new mother may hesitate to become involved in breastfeeding informational programs due to what? Lack of funds, lack of social support, lack of knowledge about the benefits, or lack of medical care. And she's saying, hey guys, does anyone have an idea why it's B instead of C? So B was lack of social support, and she thought it might be more lack of knowledge or benefits. And a lot of people put some great comments in here, you know, that a big, big component of breastfeeding is a support system. So that's going to be more important. Most people are aware of the health benefits, but, you know, if it's not culturally appropriate or you have, you know, you don't have necessarily people to help you at home, that's often the biggest barrier we see to breastfeeding because it's just so, you know, Alyssa said, you know, breastfeeding is physically and mentally challenging, you know, you, people need support, so that can be a key barrier. Okay. Next question we have here is from me. You guys asked so many good questions this week. Finally got one of me. And so I said, the dietary guidelines for Americans are primarily developed and published by the executive branch of the government under which departments? And so this one, the question, I mean, the answer bank is just worded weird, right? Because you're like, Okay, like, let me see where I recognize. And so instead our, instead of saying, you know, our USDA, you know, and thinking too, you know, like our FDA or, um, you know, our Department of Health and Human Services, how it's written here is it just says, and our answer option is, are going to be agriculture and education, housing and urban development, agriculture, education, health and human services, or agriculture and health and human services. And the answer is D because, right, we're thinking U.S. Department of Agriculture. You know, we're thinking health and human services covers the FDA. So we want to make sure that we're recognizing how our government agencies can be written differently. Next one, we have another question from Elle. So she says, does anyone agree with me that this example, that this is an example of contemplation and this question is wrong? And oh, again, this is why I love when you guys put up questions because it's if you're going through a question, you're like, I just don't feel right about this. It's a great one to discuss then to just go, okay, I guess maybe it's wrong or maybe I'm wrong. Okay, so here's a question. During a nutrition counseling session, a client states to the dietitian, I want my blood sugars to be lower, but I'm having a hard time sticking to the right amount of carbs. What stage is this client in? So the student was saying she really thought contemplation, um, you know, and then obviously the other options were action, preparation, and then cut off, but, you know, probably maintenance. And so here, this is a pocketbook question. They're saying the answer is, preparation, you know, and some of the reason behind why it's preparation and not contemplation is contemplation is when I'm, you know, thinking about it, but I have the, but I don't have any kind of like actionable 
steps, right? I'm not necessarily like saying like, please help me with. So if we are going to take this and put it into contemplation, it would instead say, I want my blood sugars to be lower, you know, but it seems so difficult. But here are the patients saying, I want my blood sugars to be lower, but I'm having, I'm actively trying, you know, trouble when I try to get the right amount. So it's more preparation here because I, I've just started a little bit. I'm here at your office to seek help. First contemplation is really, I want to lower my blood sugar, but it just seems so hard. It seems really restrictive. So this is a great, a great question. Um, a great question we have there too. Next question I said, what is C. diff and what are the treatments for it? So C. diff is one of the most common hospital acquired infections. It's going to be an infection that causes just massive amounts of diarrhea. So often when you have a patient admit to the hospital and they have all this diarrhea, what we'll do first is we'll take a stool sample and we'll test it for C. diff because if the cause of the diarrhea is C. diff, you don't want to be giving anti-diarrheals because that's kind of keeping the infection inside. The treatment is really just to have them keep having diarrhea and start antibiotics. Often they're on IV fluids too. So this is often what's blamed for our tube feeds, you know, and we're like, ah, can we check a C. diff? Um, sample too, but yeah, it's really common and you, once you've gotten it, you're more likely to get it again. Okay, next question, we have another math one. Um, so this is a question from Marielle. So she is saying, a, this looks like an inman question. So a food service operates with a 35% food cost. If a menu item has a raw food cost of $1.25, and it takes the employee 45 minutes at $6 an hour to help prepare. What is the traditional selling price? So this is another great question of why we need to know our equations and we cover all the different pricing methods in the equations part one class. Um, and so what we need to realize here is it's asking us for traditional selling price. So even though we might feel like, okay, I'm going to do the percent food cost, as well as the, the um, food cost and also the labor cost, traditional selling price, this is factor pricing. We do not need the labor cost. Throw that away. What we do need is we need our percent food cost. So we're going to first find our markup factor for this. So our markup factor, when we're thinking about factor pricing, is 100 divided by my desired food cost. So I do 100 divided by 35, and that gives me a markup factor of $2.85. Then I take that and I multiply it times my raw food cost, which is $1.25, and I get the answer of $3.58. So this question, when we know the selling prices, is really simple. But when we don't know the selling prices, it can be difficult. And remember, we want to know all three of our selling equations. We have prime cost, factor pricing or traditional, and then cost plus pricing. Thanks for tuning in for this week's practice question review. Don't forget that we are doing these live on my Facebook page, Registered Dietitian Exam Tutoring with Dana RD, every Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, and I would love to have you join live. You can also head to my website, danajfnutrition.com, to find out about 
the latest classes as well as study tips and services. Thanks for tuning in.